Good morning, everyone. You may be seated. <clears throat> so allow me uh, to map the next few minutes as, um, as you turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, this will be our text. Now, this is going to be a very heavy, heavy subject. Uh, you know, the question of sin is obviously a very heavy subject. Uh, but that does not mean it cannot be full of grace and hope. Sin is a horrible thing. But, but uh, the, the care that the church could provide, should provide, is wonderful. And so the, 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 the grievousness of sin is offset by the beautifulness of grace. Now, by common analogy, today's class will be uh, like a blueprint for the builders. It'll be uh, recipes for the chef. I want to introduce you to some of the how-tos and best practices of soul winning and discipleship before closing with a look at our individual role in the process. And uh, I offer it with uh, a great deal of prayerful consideration and some urgency because uh, people need God. And uh, we need to be about that business. Now, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 6 said this uh, vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, hear, O heaven, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why? Should you be stricken again? Why should you be stricken again? You will, you will, will you, uh, you will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. The soul of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. So this morning I want to unpack the cure for the curse cure for the curse. Pastor, would you pray for us? Amen. Thanks, Elder. So I want to use this passage to open our discussion uh, because it is a snapshot of every group, everywhere, at every time in history. In fact, it is a snapshot of everyone. Uh, we are all the same. The technical term is human depravity. That's the technical theological term. The history of Israel is simply a micro view of the history of us all. The things that were written uh, for were written for our example, the scripture said. This is a revelation to all of us because it is a revelation of all of us. And the story in the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, uh, and modern history make it very, very clear. Humans are depraved and depravity is horrifically, horrifically bad. Uh, maybe the worst example, most heinous example of depravity in the Bible is the story of the concubine in Judges 19. This is not a common text. Not a lot of people preach this text. Uh, because perverted men of the city surrounded a house. And they beat on the door, demanding the man who came out to be brought so they could carnally know him. The master of the house offered his virgin daughter and the man's concubine instead. The next morning, the master, or they, 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 the, man, the men of the city took the concubine, abused the concubine all night, 
she died. The next morning, the master took a knife and divided her into 12 pieces and sent her to the 12 tribes of Israel as a testimony of their wickedness. Don't preach that story very often, Elder, but it is a story of us all. It's not me, Brother Krantz. Yes, it is the story of human depravity. A uh, modern-day picture might be uh, human trafficking, right? Slavery, we have never had more people enslaved than we have at this point in time in history. Never. I'll give you an example. Traffickers compel victims to engage in commercial sex and to work in both legal and illicit industries and trades. In 2021, approximately 27.6 million people were in forced labor of some kind. Of those, 17 million were exploited in the private sector. Six million were in forced commercial sexual exploitation. Almost four million in forced labor imposed by state government. This is the picture of us all. Not me, Brother Krantz. No, this is a picture of us all. This is humanity at its worst. See, sin did this. And the historical evidence is crystal clear. There is nothing down the road of sin but sick and faint, complete unsoundness, wounds, bruises, putrefied. Where do you think sin is going to go? Right? There is no surprise. There's no shock here. Where do you think that ends up? You cannot live of yourself and not get this back. This is simply the way it is. Uh, we experience sin at a DNA level. See, I was created in the image of God. Not technically true. You were formed in the image of Adam after he fell in his rebellion. And so at a DNA level, uh, deep, deeply within us is this propensity and the susceptibility to self-destruction and self-sabotage by sin. Where do you think it goes, friend? You cannot live that. I cannot live that. Nobody can live that. Where is it going to go? Where does hate go? Where does envy go? Where does spite go? Where does uh, uh, violence go? Where does lasciviousness go? Where does aberrant sexuality go? It, it all ends up the same place. Now, now, to some extent, that should be the best day of your life. Realizing it should be the best day of your life. There's no more pretense. There's no false righteousness. There's no false holiness. There's nothing I can put on. There's nothing I can do to fix that. That is, I am depraved. I am broken. Next slide, please. The only cure is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only cure. Now, don't misunderstand that. I am a clinically trained pastor. I'm a doctor, and, and I get it. All the psychology, I get it. But at the core of this is a depraved and broken soul, and only experiencing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the new birth is an adequate fix for this. The curse uh, is, is, uh, is universal, and it is complete. The cure, the cure of this has to be found, must start in Jesus Christ. Now, we fail to experience the, fuel, the full curative value of the new birth when we oversimplify it and overgeneralize it. Now, I'm going to say, this is a strong statement warning. I get this. So, please give me a second. Let me remind you and broaden your view of the new birth. It is more than a Pentecostal doctrine. Right? It is not a cultural candy stick. And it is certainly more than baptism in Jesus' name and speaking in tongues. 
We do not understand and experience the whole full curative value when we overgeneralize and oversimplify. And I will unpack that. The new birth, it is psychological, it is physical, it is cognitive, it is emotive, it is social, it is practical, it is comprehensive. If the, cur the, curse, the curse is complete, the answer should be comprehensive. Shouldn't it? If the, cur the, cur the curse is this generation and that generation and that, if the curse traces DNA back all the way to the fall of man in the garden, how comprehensive, how adequate, how deeply should the new birth reach into a person's soul? Next slide, please. Really, it's the only miracle we need. Therefore, it's the only one we are guaranteed of. Please understand, you must be born Again, please don't misunderstand that. You must be born again. And then our understanding of what that means really needs to catch up with the, the comprehensiveness of the sin-sick soul. Okay, now, uh, soul-winning discipleship is about administering the cure to those bound by the curse. Now, Isaiah, 6, uh, Isaiah 1, 1 through 6, I use that because it licenses the use of a medical analogy. Right? It's all sick. It's all broken. There's bruising. There's no bounding up. And so soul winning is like the medical continuum of care. As the medical world treats the physically broken, the body of Christ should treat the spiritually, psychologically, and morally broken. Right? And we're going to do it in very similar ways. This continuum is also reflected in our key passage on your course schedule, uh, Colossians 1.28. It says, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So this continuum goes from a proclamation of the gospel to a person all the way until that person is presented to Christ as a mature person. That's the continuum. That's, that's where soul winning starts, and that's where discipleship ends. It starts with the proclamation of the gospel and follows that person all the way until they've achieved a mature level in Jesus Christ. What follows then, the next few minutes, will be some of the how-tos and the best practices uh, related to this wide variety of care that helps a person move from my first contact with them, hey, do you know anything about Jesus? All the way to them standing mature in Christ, going somewhere and saying to somebody else, hey, do you know anything about Jesus? Does that make sense? So that's how that process will look. Next slide, please. Thanks, bro. Appreciate that. Now, uh, first is different levels of care. Uh, let me introduce you to Dr. Ingalls. Ingalls was a missionary uh, in the early uh, 20th century. He came up with this scale, um, and it represents the journey from no knowledge of God through to spiritual maturity as a Christian believer. Okay, that's the Ingalls scale. And it's widely used. It's been adapted, modified. Uh, but this is kind of the basic scale. Now, the, the, the thing is, you cannot go from no God framework to a functional member of a local church uh, without some work. That doesn't happen when you get baptized in Jesus' name. That doesn't happen when you get the Holy Ghost. It may not happen the first 10 years you're in the church. 
right? I mean, we have to move. And, and really, before we even get them to repentance and faith, right, there's a whole lot of psychological, spiritual, moral things that a person has to move through before I can even effectively present the gospel to them. And this is levels of care, right? This is kind of what this is. Uh, one might be able to go through some of the levels quickly, right, because of pre-knowledge or whatever, uh, but, 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 but the levels cannot be bypassed. Each level is foundational and transitional to the next, right? Now, let me put it to use. Let me use the scale. This is how I would use the scale. I would think to myself, um, what are we most likely to get bringing someone to church before they have a positive attitude towards the gospel or awareness of need? So I would think that this is the person I'm talking to, and I would think to myself, what is going to happen when I bring them to the church before they express any real interest in Christianity, while they have this really vague awareness of Christianity, and they really don't think they need any Christianity? What am I doing to that person? What am I doing to the pace or the process of salvation when I do that? That's how I use the angle scale. I think about that. Right? I would think about it. Uh, I would think about what tools do I have at my disposal to monitor and to really understand where this person is in terms of their awareness of the gospel. Do they have a positive attitude towards the gospel? Have, what kind of experience have they had with Christian love? Because if Christian love was always uh, you're going to go to hell and you need to quit cutting off your hair and you look like a harlot, please don't bring them here. <laughs> Let's work on that. Back up a little bit. We've got to think that through. So this is Ingle scale. I would think to myself, it is wise to baptize a candidate before they have really uh, evaluated their decision to follow Jesus. Do they really understand what they just said they were going to do? Oh, I want to follow Jesus forever. Do you even, do you really know what you just said? Right? We really ought to think about that. We really ought to process that. Mm, let me think about that. I would do that. Now, I do that a lot because I work with prisoners. I work with soldiers. And I work with uh, hospital people. So I really have to be thoughtful. Mm, no, I don't think I'm going to get this. I'm not going to put this guy in the, in the baptismal tank. I'm not going to get him to the altar. Because I'm not really sure the guy is even genuinely repentant of their sin. Maybe they're just emotionally overwhelmed by the brokenness of their circumstance because you can come to God in the brokenness of your circumstances and not really be genuinely repentant of your sin right and so I've got to think about and this is what Ingalls does Ingalls says okay slow it down just understand and there's a lot of advantages to this recognizing and respecting the scales will help us pace the process correctly it helps us understand where the Holy Spirit is working I don't think the Holy Ghost is trying to get a functional member of the local church out of people who are still really struggling to repent of vice I'm pretty sure that's not where the Holy Ghost is at Right, the Holy Ghost is probably somewhere in here. Hey, do you understand the uh, personal need? And do you understand the implications of the gospel? That Jesus Christ had to die for your depravity. Right? We, I mean, how many of us have ever really sat quietly in our prayer room and thought about the implications of Jesus Christ having to personally die for my depravity? My depravity. Right? Remember, there is no better than them. There is no better than him. There is no righteousness that compensates. Well, I've lived for God 27 years. Now, I'm pretty sure it's very clear. All have gone astray. 
All have gone astray. All have sinned. There is no better than at the foot of the cross. We're all just broken wrecks. Right? And I know that's a tough pill to swallow after you've lived for God 50 years and not cut your hair or not done this or not done that or put a lot of ties in the plate. But the fact of the matter is if grace is gone, does it matter? It won't matter a second. And so this is Ingle scale, really understanding what I'm trying to do, not me, really, the truth of matters, is what the Holy Ghost is trying to do with where the person is. Okay, uh, next slide, please. Okay, so that's level of care. Let me give you some uh, treatment methods, right? And uh, I've got a bunch. I just put a few on the slide. Uh, there are a lot of treatment options to use in addition to church service, right? Uh, there's religious education. I love religious education. This helps people with the big questions like uh, what is ultimate reality, what it means to be human, where we are in the universe, what's really going on in the human race, uh, where should I stand in terms of moral ethical things? How do I use moral ethical reasoning uh, to respond to things at work? That's, that's Christian education, religious education. And it should uh, nurture an effective faith. A lot of people have faith, Brother George. Not a lot of people have effective faith. Well, how do you know that, Brother Kranz? Well, you look at their marriage. You look at their kids. You look at their money. You look at, right? That's a, there's got to be an effective faith. And then there also has to be an integrity to faith. Right? Does it last? Is it the same? Is there some pieces to it? Right? Uh, there's also silence and guided contemplation. This requires people to think deeply about the content of their inner lives and how it is debilitating them or destructive towards others. Those are silence retreats and contemplation retreats. And the goal is open them up and help them become really, really available to the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can make them self-aware and help them authentically repent of things that are destroying them and self-sabotaging them and wrecking them. There's uh, consecrated growth communities. Uh, these are micro-communities of like three to six people who have made a covenant with each other, a very consecrated covenant with each other to pursue spiritual growth using honesty, uh, vulnerability, and transparency as key growth dynamics. <laughs> Welcome to that. Uh, spiritual direction. Spiritual direction use, is a relational process, and the goal is to help a person learn to pay attention and respond moment by moment to God. Right In the moment, where is God? What is Christ doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing? That's spiritual direction. You ask them to slow down. You ask them to find God. Uh, and, and then you ask them how to live out the consequences of that relationship. Some that didn't make the slide include any type of recovery ministry, grief, Recovery, divorce recovery, substance abuse, uh, criminality, uh, domestic violence, right? People that are broke and who have, have reached like a, a really bad level uh, in life, they've got to get, pick up the pieces and they've got to recover from that, right? If I punch you in the face three times, you're going to take a day or two, right? Think about it. Right? If Brother Kranz loses his mind and gets crazy, you're going to pay. Right? You're going to be broken. And Brother Kranz is a clown. Brother Kranz knows nothing. What, what, two years, five years, ten years, 25 years of domestic violence, bad relationships? How many pieces do they have to go find and put back together before they've ever recovered an actual dignity or individual identity? Right? They're not, they don't even have dignity and identity. 
right? They may have lost their sense of humanity. How many times can you have a lascivious uh, relations with, with six or seven people and, and not really have lost who and what you are? And that's recovery ministries. That's helping people find the p- parts and, and put them back together, recovering for themselves their own dignity and their own humanity and their own sense of identity. Uh, family reunification. The goal of this is to affect forgiveness and reconciliation within families. Let me just, a strong statement. They don't hate the church. They may have hated your relationship with the church that you put over them. That's why they don't come. Right? Families are broken. Right? And we've got to do what we can to cause family reconciliation, family reunification, allow forgiveness, allow people to speak their minds, allow people to put it out there, allow people to vent, and then deal with that in an effective way and create healthy boundaries so that they can relate and go forward. Uh, another tool is period of discernment. This is so important. The goal is to help someone find God's purpose in the suffering. Man, Brother Krantz, this is horrible. This is the worst time of my life. Well, just pray for it. God will get you through. That's not the answer. Right? The answer is, what is God trying to do in your life through the suffering? The answer is, oh, man, let's talk about this. Where is God at? What is grace doing? What is grace accomplishing? What is grace trying to, right? Where is God? That's discernment. That doesn't, I mean, you got to sit down, slow down, have coffee. Did you see my chappie incorporated? You buy the coffee, I'll spill the beans. Thanks, bro. That's going to make me millions, I'm sure. But this is the deal. Right? We got to slow it down and let people talk things out. Right? Uh, another is college and vocational counseling. And you say, I, 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 Brother Krantz, what's that mean? I'll give you the goal is to help someone align what they do for a living with what they do for God. Right? Now, I'm a professional clergyman. That's what I do for a living. Right? And it took me a long time to figure out what my calling was. And it took me even longer to align what I do with what my calling was. Because there's a lot of educational requirements to do it. Right? And so I had a lot. It took me. I wasn't even an adult till I was 40. Let me just be honest with you. My poor wife and, and children, they had to live with a lunatic for the first 20 years or so. Right? And let me be honest, it was because, how, what's the chances that Brother Krantz, in his upbringing, from the earliest time he was in Pentecost, what's the chance Brother Krantz ever got an authentic version of soul winning discipleship? That, that spectrumed from the introduction to Jesus Christ to presenting Brother Krantz mature. Right? This is our task. This is our goal. Comprehensive care. Now, uh, next slide. The curse is so complete, so winning discipleship must be comprehensive. The best care has balance that reflects a variety of interpersonal and religious skill levels. Not everybody has to be a brain surgeon and everybody said, thank the Lord. Right? Likewise, not everybody can be an EMT. Right? I mean, the, the guy, look, Jesus loves you. That's important. We need the guy, Jesus love you. We, but we, not everybody can have the Jesus love you ministry, right? The church has to evolve something more than Jesus loves you, right? Uh, the best care is organized and coordinated to use best practices at the right time. This ensures the care team isn't focused on, say, the patient's nutritional need while his half-amputated leg is bleeding out on the floor. Right? People in crisis need crisis care. Simple. People in crisis need crisis care. Uh, 
Uh, the best care is individualized to some degree. Everyone is different. People come to God from all kinds of places in life. That was kind of what Ingalls was getting at, all kinds of struggles. Uh, one size does not fit all. Uh, now, there's some adverse outcomes of poor care plans, right? Experiences showed us the danger of malpractice. Common ones include like overdosage, overgeneralization, lack of balance, lack of nuance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You may recognize some of these case studies as soon as I describe them. Everybody take a deep breath. And just think about yourself, right? Think about me. Think about you. Don't look around the room. Don't look at anybody. Right? One example is the person who comes four or five times a year, and they have to pray through when they come. And so what they will do, invariably, they will hijack a service, 30, 40 minutes praying, because they got to pray through, right? And, and all of us, in our well-intended intention, we will help them, and we will pray with them, and we will be patient. Like 90% of us will be looking around the room waiting for the next thing to happen. But no, no, these people need to pray through. So we let them pray through, and we do that. And then it's all over, and guess what? You won't see them. Three months, four months, they'll be back, right? That's a case study. Mean you, just mean you. But that's a case study. We see this often in Pentecost. It's a pretty common phenomenon. Uh, another one is the person who is so faithful, and they are so hardworking. They are so conscientious. They won't use Splenda because they think it's chemical. <laughs> they are conscientious of everything, man. When they fast, they don't use a breath mint. And the rest of us know it. Halitosis. Come on, man. Do something with that, bro. Right? They are worried about everything. They don't pray enough. They don't fast enough. They're not holy enough. Oh, my Lord, somebody saw my feet. Right? They are so conscientious. The other side of it, they are living in a constant condemnation and fear about themselves. They never can relax and sit and rest in the consolation that Christ makes us free. So they live in this constant dread. They hate themselves. They don't do anything right. It's all bad. They broke the rules. Somebody's going to know. That's, a, that's an example. Another one is the person who grows up in church, never comes anymore, won't come anymore. Right? Uh, they've been offended. They've been hurt. But ironically, the only church that is right is a one-God tongue-talking church, so they won't go anywhere else either. They won't come here because we're bad, right? We won't come here because we've wounded them and broke them, but they won't go anywhere else because their doctrine is wrong. So they're stuck in this limbo, right? They won't go anywhere. They can't find God. They won't find God. They can't find God. They won't find God. They're stuck. These are really, these are, I mean, and we could go on. There's a lot more, but, but these are all really thought out. They're, 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 they're widely accepted now within Pentecostal literature, right? And diagnosis isn't judgment, it's part of the care, right? Diagnosis isn't judgment, right? Me saying, somebody saying, hey, bro, that, that, why are you doing that? What are you doing? Do you think, did you recognize, are you seeing, are you hearing? Do you know where this goes? Diagnosis, anything used to diagnose, that's not judgment, right? That is just an understanding that, that, there's a great deal of compassion and empathy and wisdom needed to move someone from the proclamation of the gospel to the mature in Christ. 
right? And these are hard questions. There are some really hard questions for the church. How am I doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Okay, here's some, uh, here's some examples, some hard questions, because this is, ah, I, and I'll, I will own this. I will own this. I have lived for God all my life. I've never not been in a Pentecostal church. Like, I didn't know anything about this and understand this in any way till I was about 35 and started training as a, a clinical pastor. Right? That's not what I was ever introduced to. Right? So, so uh, maybe do it like this. This is an incredibly difficult transition. It was very hard for me to quit getting in here and preaching. It was very difficult for me. Right? It was so many things I can do like super easy. Right? Music is easy. Preaching is easy. It really is. Like, give me a text. I'll go for like an hour. Just let me know. So uh, you just, it was really hard, right, for me to slow down. And there's some tough questions. I'll give you an example. Uh, is having church the same thing as being the church? Right? Uh, is having good church the same thing as having an effective ministry? Right? These are, these are questions that are difficult. Right? And they have to be met with patience, and they have to be met with compassion, and they have to be met with empathy. Because at the end of the day, where do we find the time, the money, or the commitment to transition from having church to being church? There's, this is, right? Because it's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier to do things that we're comfortable with. Uh, for instance, do we even have the attention span or bandwidth to minister across the spectrum? Like, do we just have enough man hours in the church? To take people in and, and, and coach them and nurture them. What's involved? Where's the money? How much is that going to cost, right? Can we plug people into the right care setting at the right time? And if not, where do we find the time, the money, the commitment to develop these ministries, right, or these ministers? This is, this is, this is heavy lift stuff, right? And this is where you come in. <laughs> Next slide, please. The body must care for the body. No, I got it. The body, uh-oh, must care for the body. Dear friends, dear friends, let me advocate for uh, Brother and Sister Mullins. Let me advocate for the small group of church leaders. They cannot reach your children. That is your job, to reach your kids. They cannot reach your neighbors. That is your job, to reach your neighbors. Right? There's just not enough manpower. There's just not enough money. There's just not enough time for the pastor and his wife and the six people that help him, the ten people that help them, to reach 600,000 people in Kern County, of which you know hundreds of them. The body must care for the body, and the body must serve the world. The basic reality is if someone doesn't care about it, it won't happen. If someone won't submit to a training program, they won't commit to sustained ministry, it won't get done. See, these are the basic realities of this. Right? We have to, this is so winning. This is this is a church saying, God, we want to grow, and then taking the next 127 steps towards preparing themselves to be a church that can reach a world that's lost and dying and begging for help. 
Told you it was going to get heavy. Sorry. I did this on purpose. It just worked ideally because Jesus paid it all. And so all to him I owe. And each of us, every single one of us, have to stop and ask ourselves, do I have any sense of compelling calling in the world? Right? Our life experiences uniquely prepare us. Well, Brother Kratz, you don't know where I'm at. No, that's okay. Man, I'm glad you're there. Because you get it together. You let God work in that life. And you now have an incredible experience to reach back into people. Brother Krantz, I've been divorced. Great. Brother Krantz, I've struggled with drugs. Great. Brother Krantz, I've been, I've been abused. Listen, we can work through that. You can redeem that. You can make meaning of that. That can be tools and that can be used to help people. Hundreds and hundreds. You are uniquely blessed and gifted by the experiences you go through. Otherwise, they're just horrible memories, right? Our God-given talents orient us toward things. The Holy Spirit empowers us, but we have to invest and commit to training and sustaining. Ministry training builds on these foundational stones. We have to have a sense of deep, deep calling. Someone is waiting on you. Nothing is possible without compelling determination, and with that in mind, please consider how hard would you want someone to try if you were the homeless drug addict? How much skill would you want the person to be or to have or to use who was reaching out to your child if they were the homeless crackhead? What expectation would you have of the ministry, the minister, if you were there? How much would you want them to pray? How sensitive to the Holy Spirit would you want them to be? How knowledgeable of the Bible and of the process we discussed would you want them to be? Someone is waiting on you. Someone like Juan, his wife was killed by a drunk driver down in L.A. He sits in a prison cell. He, was, uh, he has 53 to life. Juan has 53 to life for armed robbery of a drug dealer. 53 to life, Brother Mullins, 53 to life. The man, the drunk driver who killed his wife in a fiery car crash got probation and time served because his dad is a judge. So, Sire, when Juan says, but he said, Chapman, I'm going to kill that guy when I get out. I'm going to get out. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to kill that guy. Why wouldn't I want to kill that guy? What are you going to tell him? Maybe somebody like Juan. How about somebody like Alex, 14-year-old American Indian boy with ADHD. His mother is a meth addict. He lives with his 83-year-old grandma. He runs the streets looking for someone to pay attention to him. What about uh, someone like Alice? Alice was a hooker. She was found, when she found God, she's prostituting herself for money and drugs. God saved her. God blessed her with a family and a home, and she lost it all in a fiery, fiery uh, house fire when she went to the local market for food. When she came back, the fire department was there putting out her family. 
Somebody's waiting on you, church. Somebody's waiting on you. And they have needs, Brother George, deep, deep, deeply rooted needs that stem from the fact that we are all depraved, broken, and lost. All like sheep gone astray, Brother Moons. Every one of us out just roaming and running amok. The body must care for the body. Now, final word in closing. We may struggle with burnout doing the wrong things. See, I think sometimes as Pentecostals, we have invested so much in the things that we're good at and we're comfortable with that we run out of gas when it, when it comes down to doing and learning and, and redeveloping. Right? We get so invested in things we're comfortable with, and then when we, we, we have, we're just out of time, right? We get, well, Brother Cranston, listen, I give you 10 hours a week. I give you 10, 12 hours a week. I give you 10% of my tithes, Brother Cranston. Listen, I, I'm, I'm pretty invested, Brother Cranston. I put a lot of time into this thing, Brother Cranston. And I'm take, I get it, right? I'm taking. Every, everything's a balance. Right? And we've burnt ourselves out doing some things, and we're running, we're, we're running out of gas. So please, church, please, 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 slow down. Make sure your energy into X wouldn't best be spent in Y. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great grace and mercy. Please, oh God, please help us. Oh God, please help us, Lord, I pray. Help us get in the world. Help us do something out there. Help us, Lord, I pray. We need you so desperately to work in our hearts and prepare us for the mission you've called us to. I am so thankful for grace. Thank you, God, for grace. Oh, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for making me whole. I love and appreciate you, God. <clears throat> I love and appreciate you, God. I pray a special blessing on our service. Give us a good time of fellowship and prayer. And Father, we'll give you praise and ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.